Welcome, happy warriors. Welcome to the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show, where I, your rabbi, remind you that the more that things change, the more we need to depend on those things that never change. And that's what we tend to talk about on this show, exploring the things that never change and how they can effectively anchor you to reality while you are exploring exciting alternatives and adventurous options. Yes, you are happy warriors. And uh, to remind you, that phrase, the happy warrior, is not one that I invented. I took it from a poem by the English poet William Wordsworth. And uh, here are a few lines from the poem. Who is the happy warrior? Who is he? That every man in arms should wish to be. It is the generous spirit who, when brought, finds comfort in himself and in his cause, and while the mortal mist is gathering, draws his breath in confidence of heaven's applause. This is the happy warrior, this is he, that every man in arms should wish to be. Another poet was William Ernest Henley, and he wrote a great poem called Invictus. And the ending of Invictus is like this. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And that's because you and I, we happy warriors, are not tennis balls floating down the gutter of life. We are the captains of our souls. We are the masters of our fate. And so it is indeed my honor to be your rabbi. Yeah, we're all happy warriors, men, women, because to live productively, you have to fight every day against the force of entropy, if nothing else. You fight to maintain your possessions. You fight to build and maintain your family and your money your body and your business, profession, or career. Look, God created a world in which chaos and disorder rule. Uh, We find that in the second verse of Genesis chapter 1. In the ancient Hebrew, it's written, it's called tohu bohu, um, chaos and confusion. Life is a fight, and, and that is a good thing, because to stop fighting To stop seeking and striving, (laughs) well, that's to die. And that's one of the reasons I'm opposed to retiring. And I call you not just warriors, but happy warriors. Because to throw yourself into the fight for eight or ten hours a day, six days a week, well, that's one thing. But to do all that with a debonair smile on your face and a jaunty pace to your stride, to do all that while generating an irrepressible surge of happiness, welling up in your soul? Well, that means you are spiritually grounded in everything that is life-affirming. You are devoted to your families and your finances, your faith, your fitness, and your friendships, knowing that you can triumph over those who both intentionally 
and unknowingly promote a dark abyss of satanic secular socialism, along with all the many destructive and evil social pathologies that it generates. Well, I, I really ought to wait until March 2024 before I tell you my current prediction for the November 2024 presidential election. Because back in March 2016, right, November 2016 was when Donald Trump beat Hillary Clinton to become president of the United States of America. In March 2016, I told you on this show expressly, articulately, clearly, unquestioningly, unambiguously, I told you how it would play out. I did tell you that Donald Trump would win in November 2016. And since then, in other podcasts, I've explained why I said that and how I knew. So it's a little bit early now. Okay, I'm recording this in summer 2023. And so it's a little bit early, but uh, nonetheless, I do have a prediction for November 2024's American presidential election. Now, um, when another few months go by and we find ourselves in spring 2024, uh, I might have some modifications or, or, or changes possible. But for now, I do definitely have for you a prediction of what the landscape will look like going into the elections early November 2024. Uh, first of all, let me invite you. No, it's not an invitation. Let me, let me not dissemble here. Let me not mislead you. Uh, it's not so much a, an invitation as it is a, a request. I'd like to ask you to please make sure you subscribe to the show. That helps me, doesn't cost you anything, and uh, that way, and I'm sure this is something you all understand, but uh, the various platforms, whether it's YouTube or Spotify or uh, LipSing or, or wherever or, or wherever you listen, uh, they all rate things based on the number of subscribers. And so uh, making sure that you subscribe, just see, it's as easy as tapping the right button. Uh, that is something which helps me and, as I say, doesn't hurt you at all. It might even help you if you're interested in getting notifications. That's something you can do. But at any rate, uh, I ask you to do that. And uh, I also would ask you that uh, if you want to benefit from being part of a community of happy warriors, if you would like to be part of a large group of people who organize their lives and who structure their priorities on the basis of being a happy warrior, on the basis of building their finances and their families, their fortunes, their uh, friendships, and their faith, and their fitness, then you might benefit from being in the company of like-minded people. Look, I'm not saying this is always easy. It isn't. 
uh, building a family is hard work, whether you are at the very early stages of trying to get married or where, and we'll talk about that a little bit further in today's show when I discuss dating apps, but um, it's also a, uh, a difficult thing at a later stage. Maybe, maybe you have just started raising children or maybe your children are already teenagers. Look, building a family is hard work. There's no question about it. Building your finances is hard work. There's no question about that. For, for most people, it doesn't come easy. It does require persistence, and it requires constant optimism. These are not always easy things to generate. And so having other people that you can reach out to who may be a little further down the path that you, than you are, that's helpful. Reaching out to other new happy warriors that maybe you can give a hand along just with some encouragement or some advice or some ideas or some guidance, uh, all of that is very valuable. So uh, you just have to go to the website. It's called wehappywarriors.com, wehappywarriors.com. You know how to spell warriors, right? W-A-R-R-I-O-R-S, wehappywarriors.com, and uh Join us, become part of our happy group. So that's that's valuable and uh, worth being aware of. And um, and on to our elections now, if we if we can do that. Okay. So obviously, the conventional wisdom at at this particular point is that the election uh, will be between Joe Biden, the incumbent Democratic president, and. Um, Donald Trump coming back for another attempt. And here is my prediction. My prediction is that uh, it will not be an election between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. I don't think either of those two people will be on the ballot representing the Democratic and Republican Party, respectively. Um, What is uh, with Joe Biden? Well, I think all that is going to happen there is the Democratic Party has already realized that uh, he is a a terribly weak candidate. The the growing awareness of the incredible corruption regarding uh, monies coming in mostly from Ukraine and other places to the family, uh, many other problems, I think has already persuaded Democratic leadership that they have to replace him. Uh, Kamala Harris is going to be sent packing back to California. Nobody nobody likes her in Washington, D.C. So uh, I really do think that the Bidens and uh, Kamala Harris are our history. Um, who is going to replace Joe Biden? Well, that's not really part of today's prediction. Today's prediction is mainly that the Democratic nominee will not be Joe Biden. Uh The next part of today's prediction is that the Republican nominee will not be Donald Trump. Really? Strongest candidate? No, no, that's that's not so. Look, uh, there is a lot of gratitude in the country uh, towards the things he accomplished. It was very refreshing to have a president who actually did many of the things he said he would do. He actually committed to... Uh, appointing judges to the United States Supreme Court 
that uh, were solidly um, originalist on the Constitution, and he did. And the result is that um, Roe v. Wade was overturned. Now, a lot of people think that these are political decisions, that the judges sit around and decide what would be good for America. No, it's a legal decision. They are, they are evaluating the uh, law of Roe v. Wade, the abortion law, uh, in terms of the Constitution and in terms of jurisprudence, and they concluded that it was a very, very bad law back in the 1970s. Um, the uh, um, they also uh, turned down the idea of universities accepting students on the basis of race. This was a lawsuit brought, brought I believe, by an Asian student who realized that uh, black and Hispanic students with far lower grades were being admitted uh, while he was not given a place in a university. And so they ruled correctly on that, although I'm not sure that it'll make a huge difference because the universities already announced publicly, shamelessly, how they're going to circumvent uh, the Supreme Court ruling. Uh, the Supreme Court also ruled that um, a website designer who was conservative and did not want to create websites for same-sex couples, that she's within her rights to do that. And there was also a ruling. All of these things came about only because Donald Trump was the president of the USA for four years and nominated four just, uh, two, two justices. That is an appointed two justices. That's the only reason uh, these things have happened. So there is a lot of gratitude towards Donald Trump. But at the same time, with all his strengths come some terrible weaknesses. And um, I do believe that uh, voters, as much as they like him and as much as they appreciate what he did, uh, I think that when it comes to the early um, primaries in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, and other places, um, I think that they are, uh, are, are not going to go for Donald Trump. Um, I think that uh, Wisconsin is not going to go for Donald Trump. So, uh, and many other places, but I'm talking about basically early primaries. And so I think the campaign, the Trump campaign, will grind to a halt. So who will the Republican nominee be? That is not part of today's prediction. I'll tell you that a little bit further down the road. But, uh, I mean, obviously, the the logical uh, person to step in there is Ron DeSantis on the Republican side, and the logical person um, on uh, the Democratic side is Gavin Newsom, governor of California, who's been running for the presidency for years already. So we shall see. But um, the prediction is no Donald Trump on the GOP side and no um, Joe Biden on the Democratic side. So I think the whole thing is going to be far more interesting than uh, people have been supposing. People have thought it's going to be a Biden-Trump race. Um, conservatives have hoped that in such a contest, uh, Donald Trump wins. Uh, Left-wingers and progressives 
have been confident that any, and this is really how they, they think and how they put it, by the way, anybody would beat Trump in 2024 if Trump was the uh, Republican nominee. Even Joe Biden would beat Donald Trump. But if it starts becoming uh, apparent that Donald Trump may not be the nominee, you will see the Democratic Party scrambling to replace uh, Joe Biden and uh, Kamala Harris. So those are the political predictions um, that we have for you today. And uh, we'll leave that in the uh, on the table for us to be able to watch what happens in the months ahead. But um, uh, with that out of the way, let us take a look at what I said I would want to chat about with you today, and that is the singular flaws of dating apps. In other words, uh, large percentages of couples these days uh, claim to have met through a dating app. And there, there are any number of them, ranging you know, from eHarmony, which um, suggests that it is very marriage-oriented, um, all, all the way to uh, those that are uh, far from being marriage-oriented, being much more, if you'll pardon me, hook-up-oriented. Um, and I want to take a look at those together with you, if we can. Uh, I'm not. I'm not talking about rating them. I'm not going to go through the different dating apps, but I do want to say what is fundamentally wrong with each uh, with with the dating app world in general, and how it can be circumvented. If you are hoping to meet somebody via a dating app, I have some ideas on how you can maximize the likelihood of that happening. Okay, that's what we're going to do. Okay, so we're looking into the question of the dating apps. And here is um, the first point I want to make clear. Uh, I don't doubt that there are occasional exceptions to the rule I'm about to articulate, but the number of exceptions is tiny. If I had to guess, I'd say 1%, maybe 2% of women and a slightly larger percentage of men, uh, to whom what I'm about to say does not apply. But to the overwhelming majority of us, what I'm about to say does apply. I listened to a doctor um, a couple of years ago was telling me that all his patients think that they're unique, and he gives them advice. And he says, here's what you should be doing. Uh, these are the um, things you should do. These are the things you shouldn't do to maximize your health. And he says, almost everybody says to themselves, that may be true for most people, but I'm exempt from that. It, does, it doesn't apply to me. And, um, and said the doctor to me, he said, one of my hardest challenges is to help particularly men learn to accept the ways in which they are actually very much like other men. Yes, of course, every single human being is unique, no question about that. Everyone made in the image of his creator and a unique creator at that. But uh, nonetheless, if there is a pattern in that a certain type of diet or a certain lack of exercise produces a certain result, 
uh, the odds are that it'll apply to you too. And so I say the same thing here too. And the overwhelming majority of women, and I'm not going to say, you know, um, with the exception of those who don't agree, because it's so overwhelmingly true. And uh, I'm speaking now mostly about single women. The overwhelming majority of, of women want to find a husband who will love them forever, raise a family with them in, in love and harmony and, and goodness, and grow old together with. That, it's as simple as that. Yes, I know we live in this brave new world that Huxley didn't even dream of. And, uh, and yes, we've endured 60 years of feminism and gender egalitarianism. Fine. The important thing is not what's changed. The important thing is how little has changed. And, uh, you know, the, the fact is women put up with a lot. Women settle for a lot less than what I've been talking about they really want. And um, part of the reason for that is that they, they don't believe that it's attainable. And so they settle for some level of human connection, even if it is a far cry from what their souls actually yearn for. And so that, that is the reality. The majority of women are really looking for lasting love a, a husband forever, somebody with whom they can raise children, somebody who will be a true partner, and uh, somebody to be with for the rest of their lives. That's what most women really do want, very clearly. Uh, most women obviously find it quite difficult to achieve that and to attain that, to reach that goal. And what happens is, first of all, women are petrified of actually telling a guy that that's what they're looking for, because they believe that that will send him running for the hills faster than his feet can carry him. And so fear of driving him away and being left alone early on in the relationship uh, allows them to, to really mislead the guy in terms of never letting him know how urgently and desperately they really do crave an ultimate union, a marriage, something real. And so uh, they uh, suffer horribly because of that. And how should they go about doing this? Well, the fact is that uh, you have to accept that many of the, the men you are likely to meet on dating apps uh, will indeed be terrified by a clear enunciation of that desire and that commitment because it's not what they're looking for. And indeed, there are immature men. Uh, there are immature men of 40 years old, by the way. It's not any longer necessarily an age-related thing. But uh, there are men uh, around for whom that will be terrifying, and you are better off not wasting your time with those guys in the first place. Uh, the second thing is that uh, you've got to get, and I'm speaking now to single young women, you've got to get used to the idea that men and women are different. Now, I know that's very difficult because you have been so um, successfully indoctrinated through your entire life that men and women are the same. So 
partially as a result of that, one of the things you do is you depict yourself in the same terms that you would like to see in a man to whom you are attracted. And so um, you might well find yourself automatically, just as a result of, of your background and training, unless you were raised by wonderful parents who, who helped keep you on the right track. But if you were raised by a GIC, a government indoctrination camp, we used to call them public schools, and, uh, and heaven help you, a university, uh, then the odds are that you depict yourself as a successful career woman because that's what you'd like to see in a guy. So your presumption is that since men and women are the same, that's exactly what guys would like to see in you. And nobody has helped you understand that a real man could care less about your career and about your earning power and about your successful job, couldn't care less, not in the least but interested in it. Uh, what he is interested in is how masculine you make him feel. And one of the ways that you really, really eliminate masculinity on the part of a man is radiating uh, a, an independence, a sense of not needing a man. And so, yes, if you subscribe to that old witticism of a man, uh, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle, well, that does very little for a man uh, because it indicates that you don't need him. And men love feeling needed by a woman. That is a really big, big thing. Uh, part of the, the unfortunate problem is that uh, uh, feeling unneeded and feeling redundant is only one step away from feeling impotent, which is absolutely the worst feeling for a man. And so this is one of the very common mistakes made by women, uh, radiating a sense of independence, assuming that just as they find that attractive in a man, that a man finds that attractive in a woman. And uh, such is simply not the case at all. I'll go a little further than that even and clarify that uh, one of the things that brings great pleasure and satisfaction to a man is making his woman happy. And, and that is in every realm of life. In every realm of life, making his wife or woman or girlfriend, whoever it is at the moment, making her laugh, making her joyful, making her happy, uh, ultimately bringing her ecstasy. This is of crucial importance to a man. And uh, the wise woman who is interested in becoming unified with a husband for life makes clear that she allows him to make her happy. She allows him to bring her joy. She not only allows it, but she lets him know that he's done that, that he's successfully made her a happy person. You know the old saying, and I've done a whole show on this uh, a while back. We did a podcast on happy wife, happy life. Uh, but 
you know, there, there are elements of truth to that. But particularly um, when a woman not only radiates happiness, and again, remember something I've discussed in the past, happiness is a decision you make. It's not dependent on prevailing conditions or the environment or the climate. Uh, happiness is a decision you make. So when you make a decision to be happy, you are making yourself enormously attractive to a good man. And if you are then furthermore able to reflect the happiness and indicate that that is because of him, that's a wonderful thing. You you are on the way to a, a very beautiful union. And um, also from the point of view of a man now, what are the majority of men looking for? Well, <laughs> with women, I said I was speaking about 98 or 99% of women. Uh, with men, I would say the same, as long as you allow me the definition to distinguish between men and boys. All right, so what I'm now about to say is not true for boys. But then, ladies, you shouldn't have the slightest interest in spending any time with boys unless you are their mother. If you're the mother of boys, that's wonderful. But if you are at a stage of life where you are looking to be the wife of a great husband, then you are only looking for a man. You're not looking for a boy. And uh, time spent with boys is not only depressing, but it's an utter and complete waste of time. And so if we confine ourselves to uh, a discussion of men, then it's safe to say that the comfortable majority of men also are seeking a woman to marry them for life, a woman with complete unshakable loyalty, a woman with whom to raise a family and grow old. That's what the majority of men are looking for. Now, uh, they are fearful, and uh, men have been in intimidated and terrified by what they see happening around, what they've seen happening to many of their friends who married and things went very badly. So uh, you have to know that the uh, that as a woman, you have to overcome a certain amount of apprehensiveness and fear on the part of a man, uh, a certain sense that you can't possibly be as good as you seem. Uh, disappointment and even betrayal just wait down the road. And the same thing is true, of course, for women as well, Who uh, and men have to understand this too. Uh, women in, in the collective over the last 40 years of American history, and what I'm saying is true for many Western countries, women have been so badly treated. And that the, the if the woman you are dating, sir, if the woman you are considering, the woman you are courting, if, uh, if she is over a certain age and she's had boyfriends before, you can rest assured that she has been maltreated. She's been treated very badly. So uh, in, in many ways, uh, there is a, uh, an early stage in getting to know one another where you have to, each one has to sort of overcome the preconceived notions, uh, the prejudices, if you like, but based in reality. 
that uh, there are a lot of damaging and hurtful boys out there. And there are also uh, women who have become toxic in, in many ways. I don't want to go into all the details here and now. But when I say that a man derives enormous joy, sense of being a man, being a masculine, a sense of happiness out of bringing happiness to his wife, this is true, and I hope you all recognize this to be absolutely true, even, even if you haven't witnessed it, that in your heart you say, yeah, you know what, that, that actually fits with what I've seen of life. But um, there's a very good reason for that, and I don't want you to think that I came up with this idea. I didn't. Uh, I, all I am good at is ancient Jewish wisdom, which I know well, and ancient Jewish wisdom is derived from the wisdom that is embedded within the Hebrew text of Scripture. And I'll just give you one example. In Genesis, excuse me, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5. If this is something that, that interests you, by the way, um, if you're interested in, in con considering the possibility that the Bible is not just a uh, collection of chapters and stories and anecdotes and histories of long-forgotten people. But if you are open to the idea of possibly, just possibly, it just might actually be a comprehensive theory on the totality of human existence, uh, then you might like to actually see where certain things that I know and teach actually come from. And by the way, if you do not have a really good Bible, then go to my website at rabbidaniellappin.com and um, go to the store and then look for books. And then you're looking for Rabbi Daniel Lappin's recommended Bible. Yeah, there's one Bible I recommend. And uh, all the reasons I recommend it, you'll see uh, there on the website. And, um, and so when I refer you to a verse, you can actually go along and take a look at it. But anyway, however you look at it, um, there's a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5, um, which basically says, and I'm, I'm just going to um, tell you the, I'm, I'm going to tell you the meaning of the Hebrew, even though the King James translation is, is very pretty. I mean, I always like the King James translation. Uh, but it's not absolutely accurate. I'll tell you what the King James says. When a man had taken a new wife, he shall not go out to war, neither shall he be charged with any business, but he shall be free at home one year, and he shall cheer up his wife, which he hath taken. Okay, so in the Hebrew, it becomes a little bit um, more uh, colorful and, uh, and deep, and that is the first principle is that... Um, your wife is always your new wife. And if you think about marriages that have become a little worn, a little frayed around the edges, um, where they're not even sure do they really love each other anymore. Um, look, when they got married, along with 100% of all the other couples, they told each other they loved each other. So they obviously did. What's happened? What's happened is that um, they've allowed 
the marriage to deteriorate to a point where she's no longer his new wife. She's his old wife. He's taking her for granted. Time has gone by and routine has set in. Life has placed its demands and um, he's not in any way treating her or thinking of her or seeing her the way he did during their first year of marriage. And so there's a great deal of material that I teach. I teach it to coaching clients. I teach it to uh, um, speeches, at speeches, when I'm speaking on this topic. There's a lot of material on how a man should maintain his marriage in such a way so that his wife is always his new wife. And as you can imagine, uh, a woman's response to that is very real. So um, it says then he should be largely free from um, civic obligations and, uh, and social obligations because he should be focused on making, and the, the King James says cheer up his wife. The, a better translation is bringing joy to his wife. And that's it. Nowhere does it speak about it in the reverse. Oh, you know, a woman should bring joy to her husband. You know why? Because it happens automatically. If she allows him to bring her joy, if she reflects happiness at him, then he feels happy automatically. He has to initiate the action, namely making her happy. She has to react wholeheartedly in feeling and being happy and making sure that he knows what he has brought to her. And uh, this is in, as I say, every aspect of married life, um, you know, working together, taking care of chores together, uh, more intimately together in every aspect of the marriage. Uh, he derives joy when she reflects the joy that he brings her. And uh, and that's just one of the ways in which the system was designed. So when I said earlier that uh, the a key aspect of it is his desire to make his wife happy, this is something that ancient Jewish wisdom extracts and, uh, and, and demonstrates from Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 5, which describes, describes a reality. It's not a regulation. It's not a rule. It's not a restriction. It's not a ritual. It describes a reality, which is that marriage works best when she is his new wife every single day of their marriage and when he tries to make her happy and she allows that process to take place. Simple rules, but very unknown. But I can tell you from many years of, of experience with working with countless couples, this, what I've just told you, is one of the most powerful rules for durable, harmonious, beautiful marriages. Something that uh, everybody wants deep down, really wants. Which uh, finally brings us to the wonderful world of dating apps. First of all, how many dating apps or dating websites are there? Um, you'll be shocked at the answer. There are more than a thousand. 
you know, people know the famous ones, right? Uh, OkCupid and Match.com and eHarmony and, of course, Tinder. Uh, but there are over a thousand of these things, uh, which shows you, you know, obviously how incredibly important is it to us, each of us, to, to find a mate. Now, at this point, I must explain to you that one of the qualities of successful living is that we take into account certain realities. Let me give you an example. If somebody has a lactose intolerance, right, they arrange their diet so as not to eat a lot of dairy food. People have um, gluten issues, so they arrange their diet so as to eat gluten-free products. Um, there are uh, people who um, are uncomfortable flying and they even are scared of flying. So they very often go to programs and courses to help them overcome that. I was talking to an Amazon delivery guy the other day and uh, I asked him about some contraptions he had on his legs. And he said, look, the, the part of town where I do most of my deliveries, he said, I'm always running up and down stairs. He said, you can't believe. So I said, must be good for your fitness. He says, yeah, it's great for my lungs, but it's rough on my knees. And so uh, I have this kind of device on each leg, which reduces the stress on my knees. I didn't stop to examine exactly how it worked, although I am interested but uh, bottom line is he made adjustments for a, if you like, a bodily weakness. And, and that's a reality. You know, we are, we are not titanium automatons. We are human beings. And we, uh, we make allowances and adjustments for things that uh, we are unable to do. Uh, if somebody has much less than 20-20 vision... Uh, so they don't drive, maybe they don't drive at night without special glasses or maybe even in the daytime. But, you know, people say, okay, look, uh, I don't see well enough to drive just as I am. I must put on corrective lenses. Okay, so again, in many, many different areas, people wisely recognize their weaknesses and their shortcomings and uh, they take steps to alleviate it and make it possible to function uh, with that shortcoming nonetheless. Uh, perhaps people who are trying to lose weight and uh, who have a, a weakness for certain types of, of foods, well, they know, you know, stay away, maybe uh, come to events after coffee and desserts are served. You know, people make allowances, people recognize what their weaknesses are and what their frailties are, and uh, they make whatever corrections are necessary in order to be able to function. You get the idea. Well, it's very important to note that the uh, our eyes are linked to our emotional part of the brain, and our ears are linked to the intellectual part of the brain. It's really important to know this. Um, I'll give you an example of how this works. Where do you think we find uh, channels that sell stuff, you know, um, advertising channels where it's one little tzatzka after another that gets sold? Does that get sold on talk radio or on television? And you know the answer. Because purchases are usually emotional, 
um, and certainly impulse purchases, the purchases of things you don't really need, those are emotional, and the eye plays a huge role in that. Uh, it's why the uh, Sears catalog, which used to be an absolute staple in every American home, I don't remember exactly when they vanished, but uh, I certainly remember them, I, I, I'm going to say, into the 80s. But uh, maybe maybe even later than that. But, um, you know, I, I loved the Sears catalog. It was just fascinating. But again, you know, it was heavy on pictures. And then, you know, there were descriptions, adequate information, but the picture was everything other than in technical purchases. So let's say you want to buy an aftermarket air intake for your car to improve the performance of your car engine. Uh, it sits under the hood. You don't really care what it looks like. Is it made of carbon fiber? Is it made of metal? These are things you want to know. So there, there'll be a heavy description because it's not going to be an emotional purchase based on how it looks. It might be an emotional purchase based on the love for your vehicle that you want to improve. But uh, generally speaking, that is the case. If I were to ask you, have you ever encountered a man who made a really bad decision about a woman? I, I think virtually each and every happy warrior listening can say, yes, I have met a man who I know made a really bad decision about a woman. My next question is, did he make that bad decision as a result of seeing her and his eyes or did he make a bad decision based on never having met her and seen her, but just having spoken to her on the phone? And I think you know the answer to that as well. Uh, yes, our eyes are tied to our emotions, and that makes them, well, a little less than 100% reliable. And so that is why, again, where, you know, where do we know this from? Going back to those of you who are interested in, in the biblical aspect of things, uh, the biblical book of Numbers, chapter 15, verse 39, and the King James translation says, And it shall be unto you for a fringe, that you may look upon it and remember all the commandments of the Lord, and that you seek not after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you used to go a-warring, a-whoring. <laughs> um, yeah, a, a dated translation, but then it is over 400 years old. Uh, in the original Lord's language, in the original Hebrew, uh, do not go after your heart and your eyes, which lead you astray um, in, in all kinds of bad ways. Uh, why hearts and eyes? Because I just said, hearts in, in Scripture, heart is always a metaphor for emotions, always. And so uh, this is what it's really saying is, be alert to the fact that your heart, your eyes and your emotions are going to be responsible for misleading you. And, and that's nearly always the case. When, uh, um, when the anti-war movement in the 60s gained full steam and uh, was working very hard to get Americans to... Uh, begin to take action against the government and to uh, make it impossible for the United States government to continue prosecuting the war uh, in Vietnam, one of the things they did is they changed the, the rules that had been in place for forever, and that is you didn't show 
dead bodies. You didn't show dead bodies in uh, in public media. Um, I'm sure you remember the the, the very famous uh, Vietnam photograph, uh, which uh, which had a profound impact. Um, I don't know if you remember uh, what I'm talking about, but this photograph won the Pulitzer Prize in 1969, and it was a photograph of a, um, a South Vietnamese um, captain or, or general. Uh, I think his name was uh, Nguyen Ngoc Long, and I, I'm probably butchering the pronunciation. Um, at any rate, um, what happened was they had captured Nguyen Van Lem, and uh, Lem had been accused of murdering South Vietnamese uh, um, uh, a, a, a lieutenant colonel and his wife and six children and the officer's 80-year-old mother. And, um, and so this Viet Cong guy uh, was summarily shot to death uh, in the street. And an NBC photographer, no, you know what, I think he was an Associated Press photographer, Eddie Adams, you know, lifted up his camera and he just thought that the Viet Cong guy was going to be threatened, but um, he actually got a picture of the bullet um, coming out of the head of the Viet Cong guy at the instant he was murdered or executed, whatever you want to call it. And, um, and, and that did more to bring about the anti-war intense feelings in the United States than all the arguments and all the debates and all the discussions and all the politics, photo, things that you see with your eyes are enormously influential, enormously powerful. And so um, uh, what that verse in the Book of Numbers is telling us is be aware of that. There may be things you do not want to see. You know, there may be things that are not good for you to see because the impact they, they have on your mind, the impact they have on your brain, the impact they have on your emotions um, can be so powerful that you might well decide, you know what, that's not a good thing for me to see. And that is a, a wise uh, step for, for anybody uh, to take, people to realize. In, in the same way we realize all our other bodily weaknesses. So we should realize that the eyes are incredibly powerful in, in uh, impacting our emotions and decisions based only on emotions are usually not very good decisions at all. And that brings us to the fatal flaw of dating apps. The fatal flaw of dating apps is they are all visually based. They are all based on the eyes. Not only Tinder, which is a very popular one, which basically, I mean, it's, it's very little more than the visual impact. And people uh, swipe right to say, yes, I'll meet that person or no. And of course, everybody already knows that uh, uh, women do not have to work very hard on a dating app to get uh, uh, to meet people. Um, guys, a lot harder, obviously. All of that is self-evident. Uh, however, marriages, well, that's an entirely different story. Um, meeting somebody for a short-term uh, dalliance, easy to do. And if you're a woman, can be done 
without any effort whatsoever. Uh, but you're talking now about a woman who wants to find a man to marry and to be united with for the rest of her life. A man wants to find a loving, loyal, happy woman to marry and to raise a family with for the rest of his life. Uh, that is a lot harder. Now, I'm not saying marriages don't result from dating apps. They do, but not nearly in terms of the numbers of the people who are actually on these apps and using these apps. Uh, the basic the basic flaw is that um, it is very visual, and we are easily misled by our eyes and by our hearts. Um, better ways, better ways uh, is to meet somebody because of a common connector, uh, somebody who knows you and who knows the other person. Um, and I always encourage um, single women and single guys, hang out with married friends, at least as much as you do with single friends, right? Hanging out with, if, if you're a single woman looking to find a lifelong loving marriage, then hanging out with other single girls is against your interests for obvious reasons. And uh, similarly, with guys, it's exactly the same. But if you hang out with your married friends, then it's an entirely different thing because they know other people and people know people. And um, you have an opportunity to talk to somebody on the phone before you actually meet them. And so a, uh, a spiritual and intellectual connection can be made before the eyes play a role. There's a very important point I want to make here as we begin to come in for a landing, and that is that uh, men are much more visually driven than women are, which is one of the reasons that men provide overwhelmingly a greater part of the market of the audience for pornography, which is primarily visual, uh, than women do. To the extent that women um, find themselves drawn to, if you like, uh, pornography, it's usually not visual. It's, it might be uh, a uh, Harlequin romance novel with uh, incredibly graphic sections, but it's all in words. It's not in pictures. Um, women are less drawn to pictures than men are. And so it's something that uh, is worthwhile understanding, and that is that uh, most men have a sort of visual picture in their minds of their ideal woman, the one they want to marry, the one they want to be with forever. And the fact that she doesn't exist, the fact that she is a fantasy composite is neither here nor there. And this is one of the reasons that it makes much more sense for you to, if you're a man or a woman, if you're a woman, much more sense to the best ability. I mean, a guy will try and resist it, but if you can have substantial conversation time on the telephone, not on Zoom, where there's a visual impact, because I'll tell you this, I'm sure you are a beautiful, nubile, gorgeous woman, but you're not the one he imagines. And that's already a handicap. And so uh, to whatever extent you can arrange to talk on the phone before you actually see one another, that is very advantageous. And I'll tell you why it is. 
because we men very easily adjust and shift our model of uh, female pulchritude uh, depending on circumstances and availability and, uh, and connection in other ways. And so uh, very often you will find guys deliriously happy married to a woman who could hardly look more different from the woman they always describe to their friends as the woman they want to marry. And they don't even remember. And I, I'm, I'm speaking as a man. This is how we are. And so there is a lot to be said to postponing the, the visual and focusing on the oral, focusing on the, the ear or uh, the word. By the way, just to clarify, if there's anybody out there who, who thinks that, that there's some confusion, because I said women like to read, you know, women who are drawn to racy uh, circumstances will read about them much more than they will watch them. And you might say, well, they're using their eyes as well. And the answer, of course, is no. Although your eyes are active in the reading process, that is a very minor and superficial part of the gaining of data. The, the process is actually, all you're doing is looking at abstract squiggles that are letters and words. But the actual transformation of that into a reality that is happening in the ear part, in the intellectual part of the mind. This is one of the reasons that um, watching images, watching movies, let alone pornography, but watching pictures or video of any kind makes you dumber, whereas reading books makes you wiser and smarter. That, of course, should not be news to anybody. And if it is, you really need to make sure you understand that and that you believe it in your heart, that you know that what I just said there is 100% true. Okay, uh, that's about as far as we go today. I, I hope this was useful. Make sure you visit the website, rabbidaniellappin.com. Take a look at the Bible. Make sure you join the Happy Warriors uh, community. And... Um, Take a look also at scrolling through Scripture. If you are interested in the idea of visualizing Scripture as far more than a, an anachronistic set of legends and stories, then again, go to rabbidaniellappin.com and take a look at scrolling through Scripture. It will blow your mind. And so uh, thanks for being part of the Rabbi Daniel Lappin Show. Thank you for subscribing, and thank you for spreading the good word. Until we are together next week, I am your rabbi, Rabbi Daniel Lappin. God bless. <laughs>